Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So we started a new series just a couple weeks ago called Outfitted by Jesus. Say that with me, Outfitted by Jesus. And so we're looking at all these different facets, uh, you know, for instance, love, grace, restoration, goodness, the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, I jokingly said we could have a 52-week series on this, but we're not going to. We're just going to do a few weeks. But the, the cool thing about this is we're discovering this life that we have in Christ. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24 and verse 29 that God is sending us a gift called the Holy Spirit. So this gift called the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will clothe you, say clothe, clothe you with power from on high. Now, the reason that some of these versions say clothe and not endued is because the Greek word for endued actually means to clothe, to sink in the clothing, to put on. But what's really cool about this word power in the Greek, it means this, ability, strength, and virtue. Ability, strength, and virtue. So it's like Jesus is saying, I have this gift for you called the Holy Spirit. And you will be clothed with power. Clothed with what? Ability, strength, and virtue to do what? Anything that's necessary to live out resurrected life. It's not by accident that we began this series on Resurrection Sunday. And I say this quite often, but Resurrection Sunday or resurrection, the idea of this should not be something we celebrate just one time, one day a year. This is like an everyday thing. We, we wake up and realize, I have new life. I'm a new creation. I, I get to operate in newness of life. But that's the thing is many of us haven't awakened to every facet of that. I haven't, have you? And so it's this journey, this lifetime journey of discovering this newness that we have, this life that we have in Christ. And so again, we are clothed with the ability, strength, and virtue necessary to live resurrected life outfitted by Jesus. So today, I want to talk specifically about the fact that we're outfitted for healing. Say that with me, outfitted for healing. Now, if you're new here, I do this a lot. I say repeat after me. You don't have to. Don't feel peer pressure. But I do find that sometimes when, when you repeat something, when you say something, when you take notes, when you put something down, it helps you to remember. You remember more. Remember in school they would say, take your notes. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> and that's why I didn't pass every te- test. But that's the reason is because you remember more. Now, just a side note, if you have the Version Bible app on your phone or smart device, you open that up. If you go down to the More tab, on that next page you select Events. On that events page, when it opens up, you should see right at the top, it's like GPS location, you should see Face City, Michigan campus. We put all the notes right there for you. Not only that, you can also uh, add your own notes, and then you can save it for further reference, because you know it's going to be good. I mean, Pastor Andy's up here, it's going to be good, right? Amen. Amen. It's such a privilege, you guys, to share God's word with you. So today, outfitted for healing. Now, something that I want to say right up front, and I really want you to understand my heart is that I truly believe that as human beings, we are in such a need for healing. We really are. But when I say healing, when I even say the word or, you know, the the idea of healing, there's so many different forms that this can take. 
And I believe that every single person can have a different idea of what this idea of healing really means, depending on you know, what denomination you grew up in, uh, depending on what denomination maybe you've had an affiliation with. We all have these different ideas of healing. Now, on one side, it's something that's just downplayed. It's something that happened, you know, 2,000 years ago. Jesus did it. The apostles did it, but it's passed away. That's one way of thinking. The other side of the flip side, I'm going to extremes here, is that the only healing available is physical, right? So it's the woo-woo. It's the wow-wow, you know, a blind eye see, the lame walk, those types of things. Now, all important, I believe in the gifts. I believe they still operate today. I believe in miracles, right? But sometimes we get so wrapped up in either the passing away and it doesn't happen anymore or the woo-woo, someone got healed from blindness that we forget that Jesus is actually wanting to bring healing to every facet of our life, spirit, soul, and body. Do you hear me this morning? And so as we go through this, you know, those of you who believe that certain things have passed away, don't turn off on me because you're going to hear, I believe, some stuff today that you can take away, some good, as Pete would say, a golden nugget, something that, that you can take away with today. And then the other side, if you're like, it's all about physical healing, that's beautiful because that's included. Say amen. amen. And so I think it's important that we see that Jesus really wants to touch every single area of our life, whether it's your physical body, your, your soul, which, by the way, is your mind, your will and emotions. How many could use some healing in those areas of your life? Come on. And even spiritually, right, that you will awaken and reconnect to this life source we call God. Awaken to who you truly are, as the apostles would say. And so this is really important to see. And so as we go through this today, I'm really praying. I've been praying this morning about this, that we would open our heart in such a way that as we begin to see maybe a need for healing in any area of our life, because all of us have areas we need this, that you'll decide, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. I'm going to have faith and receive the healing virtue that he's already provided. Now, this is, this is something as we go through this this morning, we're going to see is that Jesus was in the business of healing and restoration. And I believe he's still doing it today. He's doing it in all of us, and he desires to do this. Now, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, there's this awesome scripture here. I want to just read it to you. It says, salvation is found in no one else. Pick, this, pick up what, what's being said here by Dr. Luke. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now stop there for a second. So I want to give you a little background. First of all, the book of Acts was written by the same person, they, they, uh, they call him Luke the Evangelist, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. So you know we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, right? So you can literally take Luke, move it on the other side of John, Take, don't take John out, because I love John, right? But you take Luke and Acts, and you can almost read them back to back. Okay? Now, Paul refers to him a couple times in his letters, his epistles, and he calls him the physician. So he's a doctor, we're believing. And so he wrote this whole report. Now, when he writes this, sometimes, again, you'll hear this a lot from the pulpit here, but we have this tendency to read a portion of Scripture and not really... I guess grab on to the essence of what's being said at this time and in this place. Because here we are in the 21st century. All these things don't relate. 
even, I mean, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, I mean, it's just beautiful that over, you know, this, these thousands of years we've translated the, these things into English, but sometimes the English word, you, you just can't find an English word that works very well. And so that's why I do find beauty in these ancient languages as we study this. But look what Dr. Luke says. He says, salvation is found in no one else. Look at this. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. Now, what's interesting about this quote, and some of you know this, but in this time, there was a lot of Roman propaganda. And so if you're not familiar with Rome, huge empire, uh, great domination, took over most of the known world at the time. But they had these different propaganda sayings and, and slogans. And one was this, there is no, there is no name under, there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved than that of Caesar. So when we read it, we're just like, that makes sense. I mean, because we put Jesus in and we're like, hey, this is great. But literally what the way the followers of Jesus were doing is they were taking that Roman propaganda and they were flipping it on its head. And they were saying, no, there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved than that of Jesus. As soon as you go that to that way, danger zone. You wonder why they were fed to lions and coliseums and crucified and killed and martyred? That's why. <laughs> they, they were trying to say that Jesus is higher than Caesar. But look what he's saying here. He says, there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now this word saved, some of you are familiar with this, in the Greek is the word sozo, which means to, to deliver, to preserve, to do well, to make whole. And do you know this? It means to heal. Jesus was bringing healing. Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the only force strong enough to bring us deliverance and healing. That's what this statement is saying. Luke goes on to say in Acts 10.38, he said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. How many know we are as well? Come on. And with power. There's that word again, dunamis. The ability, the strength, the virtue. What did he do with this? Who went about doing good and, what's the word? Healing. We could literally say to make whole. All who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Say, God was with him. Isn't that cool? You know what's even cooler? God is with you. Come on, Bruce beat me to the punch. God is with you. There's this union that's undeniable. And, and again, I love the ancient language that that word union or united in the Greek means to be cemented together. Cemented together. Nothing can pull you apart from this union. The only thing that I've seen in my own life, I'll use my own life as an example, that pulls me away from that relationship and union is right here. It's when I think that I'm the enemy of God. It's when I think that I don't measure up. It's when I think that I'm not good enough. That's why it's beautiful that, that Paul tells us that we were enemies of God, comma, in our minds. See, it's something that we struggle with. Come on. That's why it's so important that we get this right, that we begin to see our true identity. But look what he says here. He says, all, say all. My dad had this joke years ago. He'd say, now that in the Greek means all. <laughs> so all who were oppressed. So we can see that this is the heart that Jesus has towards people, right? Look at this. Who were oppressed by the devil. Say devil. Now this is an interesting word. This word devil or Satan. You know, when I was growing up in the church and I would hear devil, I would hear Satan. 
you know, read from the scriptures or, or just anyone say that, I automatically would think about this en- entity with, you know, the red suit, the pitchfork, and the horns. Anyone here? Come on. Like, and maybe that wasn't it. That's more of a cartoon version. But you're thinking, okay. And then, uh, you know, some people get to the extreme where, like, any and everything that happens is like, you blow a tire on the side of the expressway and it's like the devil must have knifed it on the way down the road or something. Not making fun, I'm just saying like we, we give all the credit to the devil for all these things. But you know, it's interesting. Think about the story where the apostle Peter and Jesus were having this conversation and Jesus is telling Peter that he was gonna have to die. And he's given this plan, you know. How many know that the disciples, even at the cross, they ran away because they still didn't get the plan. Three and a half years with Jesus, didn't get the plan, but what did God do? He restored them to the plan. Jesus did that. But they're having this conversation. He's like, Peter, I'm going to have to die. This is what has to happen. And Peter says what? Sounds good, Jesus. No. He says, no, never. I'll never let that happen. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Let's get real spiritual. Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, did you ever read that and think, did Peter suddenly appear in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork? I mean, no, of course not. We just repassed it. We're like, wow, Jesus wasn't really happy about that, right? But think about what Jesus was saying. Get thee behind me, Satan. That word devil, the word Satan actually means in the original language, prone to slander or slanderous, false accuser. The definition also means it's applied to a man who by opposing the cause of God, that's what Peter was doing, Unbeknownst, great intentions opposing this plan or this cause of God may be said to act the part of the devil or to side with him. Now, the reason I want you to see that is because I don't believe that, that the devil is running around and he's behind every single bad thing that happens. Sometimes the devil is you and sometimes the devil is me. The devil's in the details. What is your way of living? Are you living according to the kingdom of heaven or according to the kingdoms of this world? Are you, are you, you know, propagating this idea of grace and love and peace or are you going the other way and it's violence and vengeance and revenge? Because even as believers in Jesus, following Jesus on this journey, there's times where we actually act like the devil. Doesn't mean we are. And so I want us to see in these situations that when this oppression came, the way that Jesus responded to anything, this is the main point, the way that Jesus responded to anything that was against the kingdom way, he said, nope, wrong, we're going to heal that. And to me, that goes further than just the physical healing. This is every facet of your life. You could be sitting here this morning thinking, I mean, other than, you know, like my knee cracks a little bit or something, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, but how are you doing emotionally? How is your will? Has your will become the will of God? Same will in union? He has a will for your life, but sometimes our will is a little bit warped based on, you know, indoctrination, what we've heard, what we've grown up with. And so it's Jesus saying, I want to heal every single facet of your life. And here's the thing. There's no situation that's too hard. There's no human problem that's incapable of being cured with Jesus involved. And so that's why in my own life, it's, it's a daily walk. It's a daily journey where I have to sometimes awaken to the truth that Jesus wants to heal every area of my life. Sometimes I don't see it. 
I get so caught up in what's going on around me. I get caught up in maybe the doctor's report, the unexpected bill, the physical thing in my body that I forget, wait, Jesus took care of this for me. And it takes a step of faith to say, okay, I trust you. I trust your story about this. Is this making sense this morning? And here's the thing. As far as Jesus continuing to be a God who wants to heal, Jesus is the same today. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a pretty cool quote, right? That's a pretty cool promise. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's the thing. You and I are outfitted with the same healing power, not just for ourselves, but to help people in his name. One thing you'll hear quite often from the pulpit at Faith City is that, you know, a, a gift is meant to be given, right? And so God gives us gifts freely because that's kind of the whole idea of a gift. It's freely given. You don't earn it. And so he gives these gifts. But the first thing we have to do is when someone extends their hand with a gift in it, what do we have to do? Receive it. You know how much fulfillment that brings me on Christmas or on one of my kids or grandkids' birthdays to offer them a gift and they receive it. And when they're young, they, you know, when we're older, like, oh, you, you didn't have to do that, right? I'm, I'm just as guilty. My mother-in-law tells you don't have, she goes, I know I didn't have to. I want to, Andrew. I'm like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Sometimes learning how to receive is really hard because, you know, we don't want to put that person out. Well, listen, they're offering because they want to do it. So give them the gratification of receiving the gift that they're given. But sometimes I think we, maybe in our minds, we don't believe that we're worthy of that gift. And so then we don't receive it. I say this often, but if you've never heard this, I want you to hear it today. There's many times in the scriptures where Jesus is approached by someone or he comes to someone who has a physical ailment and needs healing. And when they say, master, have mercy on me, which we'll see today. Or they say, I need healing from my blind eyes. I'm lame. I want to walk again. The first thing Jesus says is, your sins are forgiven you. Which often would make me go, okay, Jesus, you're not. It's like answering the question with the wrong answer. Will you heal me? Your sins are forgiven you. Okay, come back to earth, Jesus. Right. But, but the point is, when Jesus says that, it, it wipes the slate clean. See, have you ever thought about it? When someone forgives you and releases you, lets you off the hook, what happens? You feel this sense of like, do that with me this morning. You need to do that more often in your life. One more time. It has a sense of release. And I believe Jesus wanted to wipe the slate clean. Why? Because when the slate's wiped clean, it's easy for us to receive the gift that's being given. And so we need to see that not only does love heal, not only does love, you know, bring that healing power, it forgives as well. Amen? But look at this in, in the Passion Bible. This is John 14, 12. Jesus says this. He says, I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles or the works that I do, even greater miracles than these, because I go to be with my Father. Now, there's a lot of times, I mean, obviously, Jesus here was speaking to his apostles directly, right? But I think these things apply to us as well. In fact, if you look around you, the reason that you're here on a Sunday morning when you could just be doing bacon and eggs and coffee at home is because you're like, this Jesus thing's for real to me. I, I want to connect. I, I, I want to grow. I, I want to be on this journey. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Well, that's because the disciples decided the same thing. And it carried on and on and on. And here we are over 2,000 years later. Isn't that beautiful? If they would have just quit, 
we wouldn't be here. Now, I'm sure God, God's always working. Think about the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, some refer to it as, but the Old Covenant, God was always working with mankind, always working his way in. I just want to be with you. I desire to have a relationship with you. And so obviously, God wants to be with us. And I believe through Jesus, who represented the heart of the Father, we can see that he really, truly wants to heal us. We found out a couple weeks ago that there's this complete forgiveness that comes through him. Why? So then we can give that forgiveness to others. We found out last week that there's this peace that he's given us, the perfect peace. So we can what? Once we receive, we can also give away. But today, let's talk about this idea of healing. I want us to realize that as Jesus was in all these scenarios that we're going to look at today, so are we. We've been clothed with the ability, the strength, and the virtue to carry healing to those around us. But let me say this. Some of us, we need to experience healing first. You know, when Jesus says things like, love others as I've loved you, I believe there's a reason why. Some of us go off trying to love people in our own strength, but we haven't even received love ourselves. And so we have to in order to continue that flow. But number one, Jesus delivered people from bondage. Say that with me. Jesus delivered people from bondage. How many know this to be true? In all the stories that we see of Jesus, he was always delivering people from bondage. So last week, we read a story in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus told his disciples, let's go to the other side. And in doing so, they meet up with this great storm. Now, afterward, Bruce came up to me, and as he always does, he has some great little things. I'm like, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. But, you know, you think about, Jesus said at one point, where was your faith? Have you not learned yet? Have you not grown yet in that faith? And, and Bruce said something interesting. He said, what was their faith lost on, basically? Because a storm came up. Going to the other side. The whole mission of Jesus was to go to the other side. The storm came up. It wasn't so much about the storm, right? We, we have the storm that, that raises up, and we have this picture of Jesus sleeping during the storm. The apostles had to wake him up screaming, do you not care? We're all going to die. This is crazy. He's sleeping in the stern of the boat, and, and the writer of Mark decides, I'm going to put a little detail in there, on a pillow, which is just crazy to think about. It's like, how are you sleeping on a pillow when water's boiling, you know, just pouring in? Well, well, I think the picture is, no matter what the storm, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what's coming your way, you can have complete peace. Because guess what? Jesus is in the boat with you. And so we talked about that last week. But I want to kind of pick up from this point because after Jesus calms the storm, the, the story moves on into chapter five, starting with verse one. Look at this very first sentence. I, read it and look away. So they arrived at the what? Other side of the lake. They made it. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Why? He's on a mission. And look at, even though the storm came up, guess what? They arrived, but there's more. This is going to get good. Where did they arrive? In the region of the Gerasenes. Verse two. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, so this is a regular thing that was going on, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. This is like a scene from a horror flick. (laughs) What is going on? 
But Jesus said what? We must go to the other side. Verse six, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. So we have a man who's out of his mind. A man who's demon-possessed. A man who obviously doesn't have his wits about him because even as he's saying this to Jesus, how did he know who Jesus was? Something wasn't right. But what does Jesus say to him? Come out of the man, you evil spirit. In fact, not even to him. He says it to the evil spirit. Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Jesus had a mission. He had a purpose. Last week we saw... It was to get to the other side. Now we're finding out why. Even though they went through a storm, guess what? Jesus had a mission. He had a purpose. He had a reason for going to the other side. And I believe it was the minister to this one man. Think about this. Through a storm, to get to the other side, to minister to just one man. Let me tell you something. If you ever think that God doesn't care about you because it's just you, think again. Jesus cares about you, just like he did this man. But there's so many things that just, even in my heart, just explode on reading this. He went to this region of the Gerasenes. He meets this demon-possessed man. He went to the, say with me again, the other side. You know, we all, we all, I would say, have those other sides in our life, don't we? We have the other side. We have those people we demonize. They're not part of our group. They don't believe the way we believe. They don't think the way we think. And so it's this us and them mentality, which by the way, there's no room for in the kingdom. Jesus didn't have this attitude toward people. Everyone was welcome. A lot of times we give the religious leaders a really hard time. We're gonna meet one of them here a little later today. But Jesus even invited them to the table. But he doesn't force you to the table. You can choose to accept the invitation or reject it. Come on. Many of us are here today because we've accepted an invitation. Doesn't mean that the journey's going to be super easy, don't you wish? I prayed the prayer today. Brother, it's going to be perfect now and like sunshine and rainbows every day. Wouldn't that be great? But the truth is, sometimes it gets harder. Because going against the grain of the world system, and I'm not talking about, I can't go to the club anymore. Uh, I'm talking about, you actually got to love people who are your enemies. Come on, Jesus, did you really mean that one? Pray for those who despitefully use me? Did you really mean that one, Jesus? Because I just want to answer them back on Facebook because I got a really good zinger. It's going to get them. If you notice, I'm not really on Facebook much anymore. That's the reason why, or part of the reason why. I love seeing my kids and grandkids and celebrating life, but sometimes those who call themselves followers of Jesus, and I believe they are, we're all on a journey, I'm like, why would you say that like that over public social media? And so many times we need to really just get our tongue under control. We need to think through before we answer. What would Jesus do in this situation? Come on, you remember the bumper sticker, right? What would Jesus do? Maybe we need to bring those back. Maybe you need to ask yourself, what would Jesus do in this situation? But again, we all have those other sides in life, those people that we demonize. They don't line up with our thinking, so it's us and the mentality. And maybe just like Jesus, and we see in the story, we should have a heart to restore the other. Your life changes immensely when you decide my life will be a life that helps others be restored even if I don't agree with every facet of their life. That's how Jesus was. 
And if you say I'm a follower of Jesus, I can say that's how our master was, right? So we see that Jesus came to this world. He really showed us the way home. Those who were driven away, who were chased away, who were demonized, those who were outcast, we see him constantly in the thick of this. He returns us home and he's saying, you are family. But it doesn't stop there. Check this out in verse 18. This man just gets healed. Now, can you imagine what's going on? This man must have been like, I mean, he's in his right mind now. He's probably like just, just so like overjoyed, overwhelmed with what Jesus has done in driving out these demons. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Of course he did. Jesus just totally radically changed his life. But look at this. What did Jesus say? No. Go home to your family and tell everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Look what the man does. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns. Say 10 towns. This dude was on fire. 10 towns in this region, proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he had told them. This is a great example of someone who Jesus radically healed them, but it didn't just change them physically. It even changed them in their mind. And what did they do? They went and shared it with everyone. What a beautiful example of what healing really represents. Healing isn't just for you. You get to pass it on. You get to pay it forward, right? We've all heard that term, but you get to pass this on. I just think that's beautiful. So think about this. Jesus goes through a storm. We could actually say, it was like Jesus was saying, come hell or high water, I will get to you to deliver you from bondage. That's his desire for you. Hallelujah. You see, when we're delivered from bondage, it doesn't just stop there. We then can take that same deliverance power to everyone that we come in contact with. That's the kingdom of God. That's really the thing we need to see here. And we can know this, because Jesus delivers from bondage, we then can help others to be delivered from bondage in his name. Isn't that awesome? Number two, say number two. Jesus delivered people who were sick and diseased and who had been rejected by others. Now, we often see this, this physical healing thing all through the scripture. And it's beautiful. In fact, I believe it still happens today. One of my great friends who will be ministering uh, with us here in July, Michael Lusk from Vanguard Evangelism. He travels all around the world, India, Africa, you name it. I don't know if it's 20 plus countries now he's been in, but he sees blind eyes open, wheelchairs left at, at these crusades, open air crusades, people completely open. I believe Jesus is in the miracle business. But see, it's not just physical. It's also emotional. Jesus delivered people who were sick and diseased and who had been rejected by others. I want to look here in the Gospel of Luke. And let's start with, let's look at verse, or chapter 17, start with verse 11. A lot of cool things here Jesus is doing, but I love this story. It says, it happened that as he made his way toward Jerusalem, he crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered the village, 10 men, all lepers, met him. They kept their distance, but raised their voices, calling out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Now, something we need to understand here is that this, this whole leprosy thing was a big deal. 
If you were a leper, the reason they traveled in packs is because that's the only friends you got. It was against the law of the time, the law of Moses, the law of the temple, the law of Judaism, for lepers to be anywhere near the clean people. In fact, they were considered unclean. Wouldn't that be a great way to go on life? And so they would, they would band together. That's all they had. But it says here that together they raised their voices. I just wonder if you knew a leper because of how he sounded in his voice. Because they had to always raise their voice from afar. They couldn't be near. They would often raise together so people would hear them. What did they do? They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Look at this. Taking a good look at them. He said, this, this always cracks me up. Go show yourselves to the priests. Okay, here we go again, Jesus. Like, I just want to be healed, have mercy. He's like, cool, go show yourself to the priest. Now what we have to understand is that a priest at this time was more than just a religious leader. A priest was kind of like even a family doctor. He would usually have to inspect people to make sure that they were either clean or unclean. And so if you would go to a priest and he'd be inspecting because maybe a sore came out or something was happening, if he said, I mean, this is a big verdict, if he said, you have leprosy, you are now declared unclean, you had to immediately, from that point, Go outside the city. Immediately. So I want us to see that it's interesting that Jesus says, I want you to go show yourself to the priests. I mean, we don't know if this has been several months. We don't know if it's been several years that any of these 10 have been dealing with leprosy, but they knew that they couldn't go to the priests. I mean, if you mingled with anybody as an unclean person, the law said, you're going to die. They could literally take you outside of the town and stone you to death. With rocks, not, not in a good way, with rocks. Boulders dropped on your head, not a very good way to go out. And so to me, if I was a leper and I knew the ramifications of even mingling, going into town, being with people, and Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, I'd be like, whoa, Jesus, wait, wait, you must have forgot the law, Rabbi. Do I need to refresh you? But look what they did. They went, say they went. Okay, this is a big step of faith. And while still on their way, became clean. Which has so, many, so much more depth to it now that we know that they were actually labeled unclean. Now they were made or became clean. One of them, when he realized that he was healed, turned around, came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. Look at this. He kneeled at Jesus' feet, so grateful. Come on, wouldn't you be grateful? He couldn't thank him enough. And I don't know why the writer... Decided. I don't know why Dr. Luke decided to put this in there. He goes, oh yeah, and by the way, uh, he was a Samaritan. Well, we know that Jews and Gentiles didn't get along, but Jews and Samaritans definitely didn't get along. There was some serious racism going on. Uh, they called them filthy dogs. And so the only one that came back, it makes me think about a Samaritan. Okay, so were the other nine Jews? But the one who came back, who was most thankful was the Samaritan. It's kind of interesting. But one major thing that, that here that shows me, that this shows me is that Jesus doesn't pick sides. He doesn't pick and choose who receives healing or goodness. Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, I don't care. You can all receive the goodness. Isn't that awesome? I think we can learn, learn a lesson from this, amen? But sometimes we read the story too quickly, I think. Let's slow it down. Let's, let's picture this together, okay? I, and some of this this morning, it might be a little heavy, but I want us to think about this time. We start with 10 men who have the worst disease of their day. The physical ramifications are absolutely horrendous. 
Leprosy, what it does is it attacks the body. It leaves sores. I mean, you have missing fingers, missing toes, damaged limbs. There's a, a loss of sensation in the nerve endings, which of course leads to more damage and more body parts. And do you know this, that this disease can take up to 30 years to run its course. 30 years of pain. Of your body decaying. Parts falling off. It's just crazy to think about. Now, I think for us, we have nearly an impossible task in trying to fathom what it was like 2,000 years ago when medical treatment as we know it today was almost non-existent. Think about this. Not only was it the grotesque damage or the attack to our sight as outsiders looking in, it was also the smell. I mean, come on. I mean, that's just, we're not going to get too deep into this, but that's not very good, right? But what about this, the emotional pain of a leper? Sometimes I wonder if that far outweighed the physical pain. This is a person who was told they were unclean. They were completely cut off and removed from family, from community, from society. There was no contact whatsoever with the children or grandchildren. If you were found to be unclean as a man or a woman, you didn't get to go back home and say bye. You didn't even get to give your spouse a kiss goodbye. It was like, nope, outcast from here to the day you die. Could be 10 years, could be 20, could be 34. We don't know. So imagine the emotional pain, the emotional scars that they would have in their life. Immediately removed from that. But in order for this miracle to happen, these men had to start walking in faith before their circumstances had changed one tiny bit. I mean, can you imagine you're walking, you're like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's Henry next to you. I mean, he's on a, some broken down crutch because maybe his foot's missing or something, right? There's Lucy over there. I mean, we don't know what's going on with her, but maybe she's got a limb missing. And so they have to begin this trek to this priest who's already declared them unclean. But listen to this. It took faith to say, okay, Jesus, I trust your word about me. Huge step. And I think this is every one of us in this life. It really takes faith to believe God's story about us, doesn't it? When others are telling you that you're rotten, filthy, you're unworthy, and the Father's saying, no, you're worthy, I love you, come back to me, have a relationship with me, whose story will we trust? And many times it's not just the physical that we need healing for. Emotionally, we need to come out of this idea that we're not good enough. Because God has declared you good enough. He's declared you perfect, acceptable, pleasing, holy. But if we don't see it, we won't walk in it. And I believe that's why his throne of grace is completely open for us. Completely open. Approach me anytime. You're my children. And it makes a big difference how we think, right? We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. But many times, I think we struggle with this because we maybe aren't reflecting that new life yet. Well, guess what? Either am I in every facet of my life. This is a journey. This is called growth. It's called maturity. We have to mature in these things. But Jesus made a promise to never leave us or never forsake us. So know that he's with you. He's on the journey. He's in the boat, even in the midst of the storms, even in the midst of your stinking thinking. He's still there saying, let me convince you of who you truly are. And as he does, your life begins to change. How many of you experienced this? But just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not true. 
So Jesus doesn't just heal physically those who are sick. He even takes it a step further, restoring those who have been rejected. And so I think of it like this. If Jesus heals physically and he restores the rejected, that means that we can pray for those who are sick for healing and, and, say and, restore those who have been rejected. That should be our life. That should be, we should be working from that vantage point. I'm looking around to restore people, just like Jesus did. Number three, say number three. Jesus brought healing to the minds of those who needed repentance. You know, Jesus was constantly changing minds, wasn't he? Now, there's times where he would say things, and he was always endeavoring, I should say, to change minds. But there were sometimes people were like, I don't want my mind changed. Thanks. I'm going to reject you. I'm going to reject this mind change. I'm going to reject this new way of thinking, this loving your enemies, this praying for those who despitefully use you, seeing people as equal on my level. And that was really tough, depending on where you kind of were on that chain, that social you know, chain of life where, where you operated from in life. But Jesus brought healing to the minds of those who needed repentance. I love this story in John chapter 3, starting verse 1. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, this is, this is pretty cool. There's this guy, some, some of my friends call him Nicky. Nicky was part of this, this ruling council. So this is a pretty big deal. Look what he does. He came to meet Jesus. You're like, that's awesome, man. Where did he do this at? Uh, he did it at night. Now, there's a reason why. I think, I think Nicky was trying to figure out what this Jesus guy was all about. Something captivated him about Jesus. And we're going to see that here, that he would come see him. Look what he says. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Interesting. Look at this verse three. What was the reply of Jesus? He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This is a really powerful statement. And I want to take a minute here and I want to kind of think about what was being said here because you think about it, this man was just coming to Jesus. He's trying to figure out what Jesus is all about. There's something about him. We, I, I know that he's come from God. I'm seeing the miracles. I'm, I'm seeing what he's doing. I'm, I'm hearing how he's speaking. And there's something about this Jesus that's just captivating me. And then Jesus responds, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, the way we normally interpret that scripture, which I'm not saying is wrong, is you won't go to heaven if you don't pray a prayer and become born again, right? I mean, we've heard this. But it's interesting if we look at both the original language and we even look at what happened in history at this time. Because it doesn't really make sense. I've read this before. I'm like, well, geez, why are you, here we are again, giving a statement to something that wasn't even asked. But this man had just seen that Jesus was doing some things and he began to recognize and see this. Now, this word born again was not, like a new word. To a Jew, when they heard born again, this was pretty normal. For instance, uh, there were many Gentiles who decided they wanted to follow Judaism. They wanted to follow Yahweh. And so they would come to a priest or a rabbi and say, I want to follow this way of Yahweh. And so they would convert to Judaism. And they would say to them, today you have become born again. Born again is actually another word for repentance. I'm changing my mind about things. I'm looking at things a different way. In fact, I'm looking at things in such a different way that now I'm going to turn and go a different way. Does this make sense? So this is making more sense now that Jesus is saying that. In fact, he says this. He says, he says no one can see, say see, 
The word in the Greek is actually perceive the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. Actually, I love this. Francois de Troyes, this is his translation in the Mirror Bible. He says it like this. This might clear some things up. Jesus answered him emphatically. No one would even be able to recognize anything as coming from God's domain unless they are born from above to begin with. Now, the apostles usually talk about this awakening, right? Awaken to your righteousness. The very fact that it is possible to perceive that I am union with God as a human being, oh, this is beautiful, reveals mankind's genesis from above. Now, did Jesus come in the form of a man or a human being like you and I? Did Jesus operate in peace, love, grace, kingdom way? believe Jesus was saying it can be done but until you perceive until you can see the kingdom it won't happen but the only way you can see the kingdom is if you've been the original translation is born from above it's not the word born again the original language is born from above this is big because a lot of us are just going through life what was the message of Jesus repent right what's repent mean turn Change your mind. You got to see things differently. Why? The kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, where did Jesus say the kingdom of God was located? In you. This is crazy to me, man. This just kind of gets you going, okay, well, what's going on here? You're messing with my theology, but that's okay. We can grow, right? We can learn. And so what I'm seeing here is Jesus was in the business of repent. In other words, change your mind. Listen, until you change your mind, you're not going to go a different way. Those convinced against their will are of the same opinion still. I mean, you know, my kids sometimes, you know, out of like, I don't want to be grounded from PS5, so I guess I'll do this. It doesn't mean that their will changed. It doesn't mean that their opinion changed. But see, I, I don't believe that God's in the business of fearing you into the family. Now, let me say this. God has utilized and used so many different forms and ways of people preaching the gospel, Right? Some people have gotten saved because someone on the street corner was raining down hellfire and damnation from a bullhorn and they were feared into that. Hey, they they came into the family, right? But I do believe this, that if you're born of fear or born of love, it really changes how you grow. So for some people, their whole Christian walk is built on fear of what God will do to them if they don't do something else or do this or that. But when you're born of love, what a beautiful way. It's like, well, of course I want to walk this way. Of course I want to be this way. Of course I want to speak this way. Of course I want to love my enemy. Of course I want to do the right things. Why? Because God loves me. That, that love has changed my heart to a place that I, I just want to be a kingdom person. I want to do what God's called me to do. Does that make sense? And so Jesus was in the business of changing our minds. In other words, you are awakening Nicodemus to the truth of who you are and whose you are. That's how you can see this. This is so cool. And I believe this is the whole point of the gospel. Repent. Change your mind. Change your mind about what? About yourself. About God. About others. About your calling. About your purpose in life. See, to me, the gospel has become so beautiful. Because it's not a message. Listen, I've said this before, but people don't change being told all the things that they're not good enough at all the ways that they don't measure up. 
in my few years as a pastor on this planet of a decade or so of actually being a pastor, I grew up in it. My dad was a pastor. Yeah, I was a PK. I was a little crazy hellion. Yes, I was. The love of God brought me back into it. But what I found in this is when you actually are telling people who they are and whose they are, the change just happens. I don't have to try to, come on, man, really pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Let's do this together. It's like it's this automatic outflow of who you are. And it's made life a lot easier for me uh, as a pastor, as a friend, you know, preaching and speaking and, and talking to people about the gospel. I mean, it's allowed me to actually have friendships with anybody on the planet. I mean, I have a, a friend who was an atheist who isn't anymore. And I didn't come in and go, I'm going to prove God to you. How? Because I got my book on apologetics. I'm going to give you every scripture verse. He doesn't care about the scripture verses. He's an atheist. Have you ever thought about that? If you get your Bible out with an atheist to prove something, they're going to go, I don't believe the Bible guy. But you know what changed? The heart of that person? Love. Relationship. Just, I mean, in fact, I think they were first like, why does this guy want to be a friend of mine? Because I think you're a great person. I'd like to get to know you. But through that process of talking, it went from an atheist to an agnostic to maybe there's something to this gospel. Is that what you call that thing? Of course there is. Love is what transforms hearts. So think about this. Nicodemus didn't really go to Jesus for physical healing. He needed some soul healing. And he already began to change because Jesus said, listen, the very fact that you're made in his image and likeness is the reason that you can perceive the kingdom of God that's already here. This is what you're seeing. And that's what's beautiful to me. Listen, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I wholeheartedly believe that. But you know, I'm not, I'm not standing around waiting for Jesus to come back or for my time on planet, for my number to be up so I can go somewhere later. I realize there's a whole life of kingdom I can live here and now. There's people who haven't awakened to their righteousness. There's brothers and sisters who don't know who they are. That's why the Apostle Paul uses the language of orphans and family. Because most people, if they're not accepting that relationship, they just don't know that they're part of the family. You're awakening to that. This is so beautiful. And I love that there's this language in there. But what I see is if Jesus brought healing to the minds of those around him, because again, Nicodemus wasn't needing healing necessarily physically. We don't see that in the story. It was a renewing of the mind. And Jesus took time with him. He wanted to change his thinking. So think about this. If Jesus brought healing to the minds of those around him, if Jesus brought repentance, this idea of changing our minds, of going a different direction, guess what? We can do the same thing. But we don't have to be mean about it. Now, I will say this. I mean, I, I don't necessarily do the bullhorn thing or threaten people, but I'll tell you what. Sometimes, I mean, hear me right. I have respect for someone because they truly believe they're walking on what they believe, right? I just happen to believe in a little different direction of going about that, and now I've done it. So I'm not putting that person down. I, I, do, I do wish that the church would, I, I do wish we would seem a little more loving because we love speaking the truth, but we're told to speak it in love. Sometimes I think we struggle with that, but I think it's with good intentions, right? We're afraid for people's lives. Okay, I understand. Pray for their souls. I get that. 
But again, in, in my own life, I found that the best way into someone's heart is by love. And that's what Jesus did. The outcast, he wasn't yelling and screaming at him. He was giving him a new way of seeing life, a new way to perceive life, which was, was, which was what? The kingdom of God. So guess what? That's what your calling is. That's what my calling is. It's to help people change their minds. It's to help them to see the truth of who God is, who they are, and then everything begins to fall in line. They begin to walk a life out of healing, of grace, of peace, of love, of forgiveness. But it comes through Jesus. Amen? So you think about everyone in these stories, and these are just a few stories of so many, were outfitted with healing. I believe that you're outfitted with healing. Say that with me. I am outfitted for healing. I am outfitted with healing. Which, by the way, blesses you, and then in turn, blesses others. That's what I was trying to get to earlier. I don't know if I finished that thought, but... You know, Pete and I were talking, uh, we did a series called The Way of Love. If you want to check that out, you can go on to YouTube, uh, you can go to um, Facebook, you can go on uh, facecity.tv and you can check out the messages there. But we talked about this idea that, you know, as we're walking through life, we have to make these decisions to love, don't we? I mean, it's a decision that we have to make. But as we're going through this thing, this way of love, we have to make, make sure that we realize it's a gift but see, a gift is meant to be given. And so we had this idea of uh, bearing fruit. And so as we're talking together up here a few weeks ago, he's like, you know, I was thinking about this. He said, some people, they have all this fruit on their tree, but they don't want anyone to, to partake or touch it or get away from it. This is my fruit. Look how much fruit I have. But what happens to the fruit if it stays on the vine too long? It rots. I, I love apples. Anyone here love apples? If you don't, don't raise your hand. Don't ruin the moment. But I think we're like the, the nation's second largest, you know, not manufacturer, but like grower of, of that. We have apple orchards everywhere. Come on, every corner. It's awesome. And there's certain flavors that, man, I just, I, it's got a crunch. I don't want no mushiness. It's got a crunch, but then that juice, and you're like, oh, I'm getting hungry now, right? But think about if we never pick those fruit, we'd never enjoy it. When I go there and we're picking the, the fruit, it's like off the vine, we go strawberry picking, it's, or blueberry picking, it's like, wow, this is amazing. This, this was grown for me to enjoy. And so sometimes we forget fruit of the spirit, it's not just for you, it's meant for others to enjoy. Don't let it rot on the vine, let others enjoy it. Imagine a world where we literally say, I trust you, God, I have faith in you. I have faith in the gift of healing that you have given to me. Where would we be? Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? I just want you to close your eyes this morning, not for religious reasons, but just sometimes we need to maybe take our focus off distractions around us or things going on, even in our head. And I want you to think about this as there any area in your life whether it be physical, whether it be emotional, whether it be your, your will. Maybe you see some areas in your will that just are kind of warped and they're not really lining with God's will. And you see that. Holy Spirit has revealed that to you. Not to bring you shame, but to bring you healing. Maybe there's areas in your, in your thinking where you're just, you know that your thinking's off but you want healing, you desire healing. 
Maybe it's even this is your first time in a service, the first time you've heard about this God, the first time that you've actually contemplated. Maybe I need a reconnection in my spirit. Maybe I need to reconnect to my source because I really desire these things like forgiveness and peace and love and joy and healing. Well, guess what? It's for you as well. Everyone's welcome to the table as far as Jesus is concerned. So maybe you thought of those areas. I just want you to repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, first of all, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love toward me. Holy Spirit, I give you permission. Show me areas of my life where I'm not seeing things correctly, where I need healing. And Jesus, you don't force yourself. So I give you permission. Heal those areas. Show me truth where I'm believing a lie. I call my body healed and whole in Jesus' name. I call my soul healed and whole in Jesus' name. And I thank you for that spiritual connection that we have together. Holy Spirit, help me to become more aware of your presence in my life. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Isn't God good? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.